Hello and welcome to the Devon Wildlife Warden podcast with me, Emily Marbe. In this episode, I'll be throwing the spotlight on regenerative farming. What is it and does it offer a potential solution for the future of food production while still supporting our environment? Later on, I'll be speaking to Mark Owen from Chalicombe Farm on Dartmoor. This square mile of moorland has been certified as the world's first regenerative farm and offers an interesting insight into the potential of this method of farming. Carrying on from new bits last month, I'll also be bringing you Plant of the Month, what to look out for in August, as well as learning a bird song together, and of course, the latest news and updates from the Wildlife Warden Scheme. The Devon Wildlife Warden Scheme is run by Action on Climate in Teambridge, or ACT for short. The idea is to have wardens in every parish or ward who can help their wildlife in a wide variety of ways. I am the Wildlife Warden for Abbots Kurzweil, but we have many others and are always looking for more. We do all sorts of things, from promoting wildlife gardening and recording local wildlife sightings, to working with clubs and schools and commenting on local planning applications, and much, much more. It's all about each warden doing what they feel is necessary in their area and which lies within their comfort zone. ACT's Wildlife Warden Scheme would not be possible without the generous assistance of our donors, details of which can be found in the episode notes. Many thanks to them all. So, regenerative farming. What is it? Well, in a nutshell, it is an approach to farming that seeks to regenerate the land, soil and water, as well as enhance the wider environment and improve the nutrient density of the food produced. However, the approach is not specific as every farm is different, with its own set of unique circumstances, soil type and geography. This is in stark contrast to many modern farms, which tend to utilise a host of chemicals such as pesticides, herbicides and antibiotics in order to maximise yield and reduce the spread of disease in commercial herds. It is being increasingly recognised that modern farming techniques are doing untold damage not only to the soil in which they grow crops, but also to local waterways and food chains, as well as producing foods which can be lower in nutrients or potentially carrying harmful chemicals such as residual herbicides and pesticides on fruit and veg and residual hormones in meat and fish products. If, like me, you've watched the documentary on Netflix called Eating Ourselves to Death, it would have really given you a bit of a wake-up call to the damage that's being done through the way we produce food. And really, we need to look into the future at more sustainable and ecologically friendly ways that we can produce food before we do irreversible damage to the planet which we live on. So is the answer to be found in regenerative farming? Well, the answer is complicated, as the amount of meat and crops that can be produced per hectare in a regenerative way is generally much lower than what can be produced on intensively farmed land. So to feed the population using regenerative or even just organic techniques would mean using even more land for farming than we currently do. So the scalability of such methods certainly needs to be scrutinised, but, and it really is a big but, regeneratively farmed land is putting back rather than taking out nutrients and is supporting rather than stifling wildlife, insects in particular, which form the base of so many food chains. Now, I went along to Chalicombe Farm, which is the world's first certified regenerative farm on Dartmoor, to find out more about how it works and what the potential is for this revolutionary farming technique. 
Tenant farmer Mark was kind enough to show me around and tell me all about what they've been up to and what follows was recorded on location, so apologies for the sound quality. It's a little bit scratchy in places with uh, wind and animal noise, but I think it adds to the ambience. Hi Mark, thank you so much for letting me come and invade your day over at Chalicum Farm today. Pleasure, Emily. Um, so I've never been here before. Um, but I wonder if you can just start by telling me just a little bit about the land here and what it is that you do. Okay, we're up on Dartmoor between Whittacombe and Postbridge. Mm-hmm. Farm's about average about 1,200 feet high, mm-hmm. so it's quite an extensive and in many ways unproductive, sort of challenging farm to farm mm-hmm. in a conventional manner and produce food. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually a Cornwall farm, about 700 odd acres or, or square mile. Mm-hmm. Um, we farm cattle and sheep but their main role here is to manage the landscape mm-hmm. a good part of the farm is scheduled ancient monument for its field system basically people have lived and worked here for thousands of years yeah probably three and a half thousand years yeah and each generation has left its mark on the landscape and it's quite unusual in fact that though that a lot of that is still visible yeah yeah i saw the, so. the little ancient village as we've come in here yeah um, and we've got strip lynches where they ploughed in medieval times, mining remains from mm-hmm. the 12th century up to the early 20th century, as well as going stuff back going back to the Bronze Age field systems and hut circles. So it's, so it's a really precious um, landscape. So, yeah, basically our animals are here to help us manage that landscape for wildlife, yeah. protect the archaeology, look at ways also we can use our sort of carbon impact, you know, make sure the water's clean. Yeah. yeah, it's clean. Everything um, else, really. And, yeah, you know, just make the place beautiful and lovely place to live. It is absolutely stunning. I mean, it doesn't really lend itself to a podcast. It would be probably more suited to a video to show off <laughs> what you've got going on here. And um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously you mentioned that you're farming um, cows and, and sheep, beef and mutton. So you do, you sell meat uh, as a byproduct of what you're doing? Yes, yes, meat and fleeces, you know, and we try and give the animals as well because we're sort of our ethos is low input low output mm-hmm. so it's got quality rather than quantity yeah um we're organic uh we're 100 percent pasture fed because we don't want to be bringing in food onto yeah. the farm mm-hmm. to as sustainable as possible animal welfare accreditation the animals have access to the outdoors all year round yeah so it's about as eco as meat can be really <laughs> yeah yeah in terms of minimizing our inputs coming in and you know we were sort of proud to be you know the first certified regenerative farm in the world yeah so how did that come about um the people who accredited for our pasture fed and animal welfare were piloting um a regenerative farming certification because regenerative is becoming very much a buzzword at the moment Mm, yeah rewilding regeneration yeah and so nobody really knows where where you you place that and there's sort of Mm -hmm. There's still ongoing discussions about, you know, what it takes to be regenerative. So that'd be interesting. So we've signed up to a pilot along with sort of 50 other farms around the world. Yeah. Um, and surprised, delighted, actually, we were the first one to get through the paperwork process. To I was going to say, so it's not just a British scheme. This is something that is looking, being looked at across the world. Yeah, but... globally. And I think, you know, even some of the big companies now are looking at regenerative farming. You know, McCain's, for instance, you know, they're yeah. looking at all their potatoes being grown regeneratively. Wow. by 2030. I mean, yeah, I suppose when I look at small-scale farms like this, and I have to admit, like, one of the things I think is, it's lovely, but is it something that would feed the world on a large scale, you know, and do we have enough land 
to, to produce meat regeneratively to feed bigger, bigger populations? Um, I think, I suppose people ideally will be eating less meat. Yeah. Um, particularly, I think, the grain-fed meat yeah. is something, you know, we haven't got the feedlots like they have in the States over here. No, I think a lot uh, of UK beef is grass-fed anyway. Yeah. But obviously not to the extent, and there's still a lot of chemicals and, you know, treatments used on those cows. Yeah, and it is that sort of... I, I suppose, in theory, a lot of beef here will be raised initially on grass, but then fed grains to then sort of grow and meet, reach maturity quicker. Yeah. Um... Which is, yeah, a fair system. Um, here, we want to be basically see what we can produce on the farm using sunshine and rain. Yeah. We're bringing in minimal inputs. Um, and that's partly for the ecological thing, but also because the land is, you know, this land is more suited for growing wildlife, to be honest. Yeah. So you're almost like a cross between a wildlife refuge and a farm. Yeah. It, it, we really intensified and tried to sort of work the hand, you know, brought in lots of feed, lots of fertiliser. It probably actually wouldn't increase our production a huge amount. Yeah, because uh, of the landscape and the, because the landscape, of the yeah, gradients and things. Yeah, there's a phrase, you know, you, know, you, you can scratch Dartmoor's back, but it'll scratch your eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you're basically using fossil fuels to overcome your natural disadvantages. Yeah. You know, compared to even South Devon. Yeah. You know, we've got probably three months less grass growth. Yeah. Um, and so we cannot compete on a level playing field you no. know without having to buy stuff in yeah and so i think even from a business side of things you know it actually works better not to be trying to, to push to the output push really the outputs yeah. because your costs go up quicker than your outputs go up well, yeah i suppose in many ways it's helping that the cost of fertilizers and things have gone up so much over the last few years because i suppose that will push farms towards thinking about alternatives as well yeah but that will certainly yeah, help drive the change because mm. you know there is that i suppose we're, we're farmers being told well since the war that you know the answer is always to be more efficient mm. more productive farm that little corner of the field don't let things go to waste yeah yeah um and so there's an awful lot of effort and energy spent into trying to maximize in, in some you know, landscapes, as I say, like you know, the high moor here, yeah. there is a definite limit to what you can produce. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. And you, when we were walking around a little while ago, you mentioned how you're kind of trying to join up a bit with some other local farms in the area. So I wonder if you could just tell me a bit more about that again. Yeah, yeah we're setting up a sort of cluster group of, of ten farms mm-hmm. up here on Dartmoor, all within the sort of catchment of the Dart, yeah. based around Postbridge. And we came together, ooh, sort of informally, three or four years ago, because we've all got habitats, which are really good for the marsh fertility butterfly. Brilliant, yeah. Um, and so with advice from Butterfly Conservation Hill Farm Project, we've been sort of changing how we manage those habitats yeah. to basically try and get as many butterflies as we can. Yeah. Um, and sort of growing out of that, we're now looking at how we can sort of manage the rest of our farms to benefit wildlife while still producing food. Yeah. Some are more production focused on that than I am. Yeah. And some, you know, I say yeah. so but between us we've got a big area mm. and by working together we can join up make sure our habitats are joined up, our plans again. Um it's a nice little, little <laughs> so. Hello doggo, we've been yeah, joined by one of your dogs, dogs now. Yeah. <laughs> Who I think must love living up here. Yeah, yeah, she does, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's, it's like an absolute 
yeah, a dream for any dog to come and live on a place like this, I think. Yeah, they are spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously you're not making huge amounts of money from meat that you're selling. So, you know, there may be other farmers listening to this thinking, well, that's well and good, but how do you fund, you know, the, this kind of regenerative farming? Um, so there are schemes available to support people? Well, well, there's two things. In terms of we maximise what grants we can get get yeah so and moving forward sort of public money for public goods mm-hmm. we want to make sure we can deliver public goods yeah very effectively so a moment we're in higher level stewardship and we anticipate signing up to elms when it comes through yeah. and announced um but also reducing costs is the easiest way to become more profitable yeah um you know everybody knows the price of fertilizer yeah. at the moment yeah if you're not buying it you know and it's a lot of things you know even things like trimming hedges yeah you know when you're on the farm you've got somebody come around and do the hedges and it's like 700 pounds yeah um and that's you know that's a, a, another bullet we would have to sell yeah to cover yeah. that um, i suppose you probably don't have an awful lot of hedges that are on road sides do you that, no so that's less of an issue well, we you. trim them our hedges don't grow mad yeah so the roadside ones get trimmed every every couple of years yeah but the the internal hedges. Yeah. I trim the bases so with a brush cutter okay. just to stop sheep getting caught off in the brambles. Right. And then we lay them, which gives me firewood. Yeah. And also cuts out stewardship grants for laying things yeah. well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're a bit of income, a bit of fuel, but actually just reducing that cost. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I say that's where we're looking at is, you know, looking at reducing costs. Yeah. You know, battling nature is expensive. Yeah, yeah. You know, time and money, so absolutely working with it is, is that's the way forward. And so, what what do you see as the kind of future of the farm being as it stands? Um, continuing as we are, so the bit of, bit of diversification, um, selling sort of high quality meat, mm-hmm. um, and you know, continuing to sort of do the best we can for wildlife, you know, for yeah. carbon and all the other things. The farm is very well suited to produce. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hopefully the government will be supporting that. Yeah, yeah. So what is your biggest threat, would you say, you know, to keeping things the way they are? Um, ooh, I probably the loss of grants, probably. The, the loss of grants will, in terms of we can manage about, um, probably, you know, single farm payment. Um, you know, my wife, Naomi, works, so we do have external income. So we're not looking to make... The farm. <laughs> okay, sorry. That's, no, it's all right. Jumped on another dog. So, um, so right. We... Yeah, the biggest threat. Biggest threat. <laughs> 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 talking to you now. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I don't mind yeah. a bit of dog noise. It's fine yeah. as long as people can hear. What yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, the biggest threat in terms of you know we. I want the government, I suppose, to continue to say, you know, it's 30 by 30, you know, 30% of the country protective of nature. Yeah. Putting the grants into, you know, delivering public goods. You know, we can deliver that. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've got relatively low cost in running the farm. Yeah. We're not looking at huge, don't need huge grants and huge income to do it. You know, basically we do it because it's a lovely place to live. Yeah. And that's what we want in Australia this. Um, we don't aspire to the big Range Rover and a big tractor and sure. everything else. Yeah. Um, so much rather be just surrounded by birds. So we haven't got huge outgoings, mm-hmm. but it's just a case of just 
getting that balance yeah. right and yeah. you know it's lovely you know, to share the landscape with lots of people coming yeah. through and walking and say wonderful you know, and so yeah. what advice if, if, if you know if I was a lay farmer or if there's a lay farmer listening to this this podcast thinking well you know I'd like to do something more for nature on my farm but I'm very much a commercial farm and you know we don't have history of Dartmoor and stuff yeah. to look after so how how can we make a difference what advice would you give to someone just starting out to think about what more they could do for nature with their farm well so look at where the least productive mm. corners of your farm are and they're most likely to be ones with best wildlife potential right yeah and take note of that production but also look at ways you can work around reduced costs so things like if you're grazing animals you know clever use of herbal lays mob grazing yeah all these things which you can get to a bit more for less mm-hmm. um looking after the soils so the more your soils can bring out the nutrients yeah the better you know but, but, you know to my mind you know really look at your costs you know when the salesman says oh you need to buy this ton of fertilizer or this and you know and you're suddenly thinking actually just double check yourself yeah maybe i that don't you are going to get that returns <laughs> back on yeah that because otherwise you know you are basically you know working to pay his commission and buy his stuff yeah you're buying into a system you're really. buying, yeah yeah, um, yeah so when you were talking about soil quality i know when we were walking around you were talking about sort of doing things like the herbal lay yeah so is that something that would help with that yeah yeah so looking at sort of what grass is and um, plants you can sow in your fields which will naturally bring up nutrients the clovers yeah. bringing um, fixed um, nitrogen um, some deep rooting plants yeah. so, so, so some of the less conventional and more diverse lays yeah and you know same with wildlife the more diversity you have more we have but also that works for the plants and your grazing yeah you know your animals will prefer a more varied diet i'm sure yeah um, yeah as well so you can yeah you can improve your own soil at the same yeah. time as helping wildlife really yeah can't and you? sort of make it more absorbent you know you're less droughty then as well yeah yeah so. this is it i suppose as we go into having longer hotter summers that's going to present a whole different set of challenges moving forward yeah um you're lucky enough to have water running through the land here which really helps with the diversification i think yeah yeah certainly yeah we have a slight problem we haven't got water in a lot of the fields but we've got big open fields so yeah generally the cattle can sort of get down to but just you know is is I suppose balancing what the farm can produce mm. um with minimal inputs and sort of and just being careful what what you what you spend your money on yeah yeah well, that's <laughs> so, yeah. yeah someone said to me a few years ago something that really stuck and it was um live simply so others may simply live and i thought that makes a lot of sense in our current yeah. world <laughs> yeah yeah um and yeah we are systems which are you know will be a lot more productive than ours yeah yeah where you have you can ramp up production um is i was trying to trying to you know work smarter and you know yeah. um it's not always a solution always in a can or, or bottom also. <laughs> yeah I suppose different strokes for different yeah. folks and all yeah. that see how many how many cliches we can pull out um yeah. so I mean you you mentioned obviously you do sell um meat so if if someone listening to this thinks oh I'd like some more eco-friendly meat how do they buy some meat from um, you well we have a website and a newsletter um website is dartmoorfarm.com okay that's the easy one um so we have a web shop in there and people can buy meat on there I think mm-hmm. our, our choice is our cheapest bit 
is a, you know, a couple of packs of uh, half pound of braising steak for a couple of quid. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I actually had a look at your website and I thought, considering the eco credentials, it's very well priced. I think yeah. it's you know it's comparable to what you would buy in the supermarket price wise. A lot. Yeah, of what you're we, selling, we want to make it affordable. Yeah, um, and sort of you know sell it, sell it locally. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly, you know, we have very small sheep, which are very well suited. They're Shetland Icelandic crosses, mm-hmm. so they grow very slowly. Very good eating gorse, which is an issue on the on the archaeology. Yeah, um, easy lamb. They're pretty. They get lovely fleeces. Yeah, um, but because they're small, it's not something you can sell in the market. Right. Um, so actually, selling them direct suits us as well. But good. the meat from them is is lovely because they're slow grown. Yeah. Yeah. Tasty. So good stuff and so does if someone wants to buy some do they need to come here to buy it or can they get it from further afield do you need to be local um relatively local i, I can um put it in a polyphene uh, polystyrene box yeah and post it anywhere in the country yeah but i but if you're out all day and it's left on your yeah. doorstep it's yeah. probably not ideal yeah it's, it's all frozen <laughs> so so it will survive 24 hours but i must i'll much prefer if somebody can come up and see the farm yeah see the animals people people yeah, one of the things that's unusual about our farm is that most of it is open access land. Yeah. So people can see our animals any time mm. and then see how we farm. Yeah. Um, we've got nothing to hide. Yeah. Um, so if people want to come up for a walk and pick up, you know, a pack of chops, brilliant. Um, so you just order them in advance or, you know, ending up with half a lamb or, or more with some beef. Yeah, amazing. That's great. For large orders, I will deliver down to South Devon. Okay. Um, hopefully when I got going shopping or doing myself uh, yeah, yeah. Um, combine the trips yeah, you know, just, uh, good so. for everyone's time as well yeah. as the environment really yeah. so. <laughs> wonderful stuff well yeah thank you so much i don't know before we finish up if there's anything else you wanted to mention or add no no i just you know he wants to sort of find out more um yeah have, a look, have a look at the website or come along website, yeah yeah you've um, been very very friendly and welcoming i'm always a little bit scared of farmers because i think oh they chase you off off their <laughs> land but no you're very very welcome no we're you? we're open yeah because we, we have lots of groups we love showing people around the farm yeah. um see what we're doing and hopefully inspiring others and and just people enjoying the farm it's great yeah wonderful so. good well we'll leave it there then thank you very very much for taking the time to chat to us today okay thanks Emily. lovely to meet you Huge thanks once again to Mark for taking time out of his day for the podcast. While I was there, I did pick up some meat and I am pleased to say it was delicious. Now, I am more than aware that moving towards a plant-based diet is the best solution in terms of feeding the planet without destroying it. But as a seasoned meat eater and someone married to a man who has no intention of giving up his steaks, it's great to know that we are able to obtain meat produced in such a fantastic ethical way. So if you're local, I really would highly recommend both a visit to the farm for the sake of enjoying its beauty, but also to try out their meat. And actually, they are just up the road from the ancient uh, monument on Dartmoor, which is Grimm's Pound, which is a really brilliant site to visit. So do have a look at that while you're up there as well. Moving on, I have a few updates from the Wildlife Warden Scheme over the last month or so, and I'll start right here in Abbots Kurzweil. I've been working with the vicar on our eco-church project, and I'm pleased to say that we now have the backing of the parochial council to go ahead with our plans to make the churchyard a wilder space. We have plans to introduce a small above-ground pond, a mini meadow, bird feeders, and houses for birds, bats, and hedgehogs, so that's all very exciting. 
Our wardens across the borough have also been up to their usual shenanigans, from taking parts in surveys and projects, to logging wildlife sightings and working with their local communities to spread the word about supporting and protecting our wildlife. A couple of us are supporting a PhD student with her work looking at how dormice use hedges, and that involves checking footprint tunnels for dormouse activity and logging our findings every couple of weeks throughout the summer months. I've been fortunate enough to be assigned a site at the Barnow Trust, so with any luck we can get them on board for an interview for the podcast sometime soon too. Shearer, one of our wardens, has also helped out with the Riverfly survey on the teen, and also wrote a lovely piece for the Parish magazine on the benefits of ragwort, one of those plants that many people like to remove from fields, but which is actually a host plant for the cinnabar moth, so you'll often see yellow and black striped caterpillars on them feasting away, and as such it is worth leaving these yellow flowering plants if you can. There was also a group trip organised to Chalicum Farm, which is actually what gave me the idea of speaking with Mark about the regenerative farming for this episode of the podcast. Apparently, turnout was good for the trip, and attendees included some farmers who we hope will take some of the principles back and apply them on their own land. Here's hoping. There was also a wildflower and butterfly ID training run for wildlife wardens over at Audrey's farm, which I understand was well attended. And I'm sure that many of our wardens have been out and about doing all sorts of other things too. And just as a reminder, if you want to get involved with the scheme, you certainly can do so. Just get in touch via the website, which is referenced in the episode notes. Moving on to Bird of the Month. And on this occasion, I took the recording myself right here in our little woodland. I was sat in the garden last night, and the owls were being extremely vocal. So I thought, why not make the tawny owl my Bird of the Month? So here they are, chatting away to each other last night at about 11pm here in Abbotskirzwell. appreciating a tawny owl wasn't enough for you, we're going to carry on from last month and include a plant of the month. And this month it is purple loosestrife. This is a tall plant that flowers between June and August and provides a valuable food source for long-tongued insects, just like brimstone butterflies and red-tailed bumblebees and elephant hawk moths. 
It can form dense stands of bright purple flower spikes in wet habitats like reed beds, fens and marshes. So do look it up, purple loosestrife, make sure you know what it looks like and keep an eye out for it when you're next out and about, particularly in damper areas. And before I finish up this episode, just a quick mention that if you are interested in volunteering opportunity with the Devon branch of the charity Butterfly Conservation, they currently have roles available for guides, event volunteers and social media volunteers. So if you are interested, do get in touch with them for more information. I'll put a link to their site in the episode notes. And just while on the subject of butterfly conservation, they have a moth event taking place on the 6th of August in Belliver, led by our very own, often mentioned, Devon moth recorder, Barry Henwood. Again, I'll include a link for that in case you're interested in going along. Booking is essential. I'm going to leave it there for this episode, and I'm going to sign off as usual by saying that I hope you feel inspired to do something, however small, to help your local wildlife. And just a reminder that there will be no August episode, as I'm taking some downtime with my family during the school summer break. So I'll be back in September, and I hope you have a great summer. This podcast was narrated and produced by me, Emily Marbay, with music by Poddington Bear.